What's up? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm very, very excited to announce the first episode of the NRL 22 podcast. We are super, super excited to be here today. And when I say we, I am talking about our amazing, our beautiful, our fantastic, our creative, our what everything hostess, Ruth Susie. Ruth, how are you today? Good. Way to set the bar extra high for me, Travis. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want everybody to know how much I appreciate you and what you've done over the past several years for the NRL 22 community. And I'm just super happy that we finally have a platform for the 22 podcast. But more importantly, I'm super stoked that you're going to be our hostess and uh, leading this charge, so to speak. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really good. You know, I for those of you who don't know the story, Travis calls me the morning after I closed a silent auction for a good friend of ours who was in the hospital. And I stayed up past midnight and I get this phone call and it's Travis and I'm go, huh, what's Travis calling about? Hey, Travis, what's going on? And he's like, hey, how would you like to host this podcast? And I was like, I got no sleep last night. I've got 86 <laughs> items to organize. And I'm like, I need to think about it. But uh, I thought of you know, anything I could come up with to say no and couldn't come up with anything good. So here we are. <laughs> there you but go. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. This is a great community and um, I'm, I'm just happy to be more involved and can't wait to see what this turns into. Well, for those of you out there that aren't familiar with Ruth, um, Ruth has been hosting, co-hosting um, monthly matches, uh, X matches, um, but there's a lot of people that do that. What's unique to me about Ruth is she also she gets very, very creative with her matches where she comes up with different themes and different giveaways and different. What are some of the themes that you've come up with, like Hawaiian in the middle of winter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had actually our third annual tropical paradise match in January. So every year in January, we do a tropical paradise theme and everyone wears Hawaiian lays and we have, you know, tropical fish. We had a snorkel themed stage one year uh pineapple theme and then all of the first place uh class winners take home a pineapple it's, it's pretty fun we have a good time and that that's what i love about it is that you take what what the nrl 22 provides but you take it to the next level and just make it a really cool fun event for the community yeah yeah it's great we have we have such a fun group of shooters up here too i always make the guys like we just did our february match last weekend uh, and I make everyone wear these heart-shaped beads. And I'm like, you got to put it around your neck. Otherwise, I won't know that you paid. And I just harass people. And people are so <laughs> great. They play along with it uh, and tolerate me really well. But it's it's really cool to see, you know, most people actually get really into it and excited about it because everyone's doing it. So we all look stupid together. And, you know, even the, even the curmudgeons who are, like, embarrassed to go along with it or eventually, like, you know, feel like they're all part of the same team. So it's it's fun. We have a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, not only are you a, a match director extraordinaire, but you are also a champion. Yes. Yes. I took home first place for ladies class last year. That was pretty exciting for me. It was a tough match. So it was, uh, I've, I've never shot in wind like that before. Um, that, that was a crazy two day match in Nebraska and it was a really good learning experience. Very humbling for me as well. And I, <laughs> I realized I need to to, you know, take a deep breath and not put so much pressure on myself. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And like I said, I, I learned a ton and we had a great squad that was super supportive. And I think one of our, our squad members asked me, 
Uh, and our one of our young guns that was shooting with us kept asking me after every stage, what'd you get on that one, Ruth? What'd you get on that one? And I'm trying to be like positive for her and not, not <laughs> feel like the inner turmoil of, you know, missing over half the targets on that stage. And then he asked me, so what'd you get on that? And I was like, stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a good uh good experience the day two ended up being way way better for me because I just was like you know I just got to get out there and shoot and it is what it is you know sometimes you get competitive and I I wanted to see how well I could shoot um and sometimes when you when you have something in your mind about how you should be performing and it doesn't match up with reality you get a little discouraged and and right. it's important to just take a step back so it was good it was good that's awesome. So I've always been curious and I don't think that you, I mean, we've hung out and we've, we've had conversations, but I don't know if I've ever asked you this question, but what made you get into 22? Why? I mean, there's so many other shooting disciplines out there. Why did you pick 22? Yeah. So I actually got into it because Justin, Justin and I have been together just over three years now. Uh, we met on Tinder. Everyone always asks us, we met swiping. So, you know, um, he was, getting into NRL 22, right. When we first met, um, I think he'd shot for less than a season at that point. And he let me use his gun. Um, the first time I shot his gun was at a spinner at the range and I'd watched it a couple of times. Um, you know, other people shooting it. So I kind of understood the mechanics, but I got it to spin over in three spins and he made such a big deal out of it that I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. And then I went with him. He went to Las Vegas to shoot the championship in 2019. Um, and I still hadn't, you know, shot a match. I just shot his rifle at the range a couple of times and I saw all the other women there competing and I, there wasn't a ton of ladies at nationals, but I was watching these women who were getting out and shooting. And I thought, I think I could do this. And so the next month I started shooting monthly matches and Justin was very, very kind and let me, uh, borrow his rifle. He even changed the length of pull so that it was easier for me. Cause he's gargantuan for people who haven't seen him much, much longer than me. And all guy. he is, and, uh, he, I can't believe, cause I don't know that I would lend him my gun. I would, <laughs> I would because he lent me his, but, oh man, I thinking back about that. I don't, I don't like when he uses my stuff. So I can't imagine letting someone brand new who is banging his scope on things, by the way. And he has very nice equipment. Um, you know, he's like, please be careful. And I'm like, don't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got, I really got into it because I had the opportunity and because, um, Justin encouraged me to do it and enabled me to really, and the community, um, was great. So I was shooting with shared equipment for the first year of doing it, but I, you know, through the generosity of the sponsors and through the generosity of NRL 22, you know, I got my own, I think the first thing I won, uh, from one of the monthly drawings was a rangefinder. And I still use that rangefinder. And there's no way at the time with uh, the situation I was in trying to carry a house from a divorce, there's no way I could have afforded one of those. There's just, sure. I, I would, could not pay for my own equipment. So there's no way I would have gotten started if people hadn't helped me. Um, so now uh, I'm, I'm in a much better situation and got that sorted out. And it's really interesting uh, to be in a better financial situation when you're involved and more involved in a sport like this, because, you know, there's <laughs> infinite things to spend money on. Um, right. But I just look back and, and I'm so grateful for the generosity of the people around me and, you know, people lending me equipment and stuff like that. It's, it's phenomenal. It's a great community. See, so the fact that Justin was willing to let you 
borrow his equipment from the get-go just shows you how much he was into you. Yes, I know. I think back right? about that. I didn't understand at the time, but I'm like, okay, this guy, this guy won't say the L word, but he lent me his gun. That's got to mean that he does, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty dang close. I mean, that's like... I mean, that's like the silent way of saying the L word. Right, right, exactly. Yes, letting letting you use your rifle, yeah. Especially because it was a Woodstock too, and I know I put a couple things in it. Sorry, Justin. Was that the, <laughs> the Anschutz? Yep, yep, yep. The one and only. Yep. Very nice. Yeah, yep. I remember yep. um, watching Justin shoot that rifle a couple of times, and it's a very beautiful rifle. It is. It's very, very pretty. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have my own now, um, and I don't know that this was done on purpose, or just because it happened to be available, but he got a discounted stock when I got my own. Um, it had broken and they repaired it. So it didn't have that nice wood finish. They had spray painted it because they, after they repaired it, you know, it didn't have the pretty wood right. on it anymore. Um, so we ended up, we did an at home in basement uh, spray paint job, which I am still rocking. I like it, but it's perfect for me because I'm, I'm kind of clumsy. So the first scratch that you put in your gun is always the hardest. But it also shows that you actually use it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I for mean, sure. Everyone's like, oh, that must be a safe queen. No, it's not a safe queen. Just <laughs> go go run it. Go use it. Have fun with it. It's yep. built for a purpose. Yep, exactly. And that thing has seen, that thing has seen some, some countryside, some rocks, some ground, all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> nice. So, <clears throat> excuse me. 2019, 2020, you get involved with the NRL 22. You're having a good time. You're winning prizes. You're meeting new people. You're becoming more and more involved with the community. And it was in 2000, was it 2021 or 2020 that you ran your first X match? I don't remember. We ran our first X match in 2020. Yeah, it was right after the pandemic. And we were, we we ended up postponing it. We were going to do our match in April, I think, and we had to postpone it uh, due to COVID. So it was June of 2020 was our first X match. Nice. And I remember the three of us spending many, uh, many a minutes on the phone talking about sponsors and how to run a match and how to do everything. But you guys killed it. You guys did a great job with your, your first match out of, uh, out of only being involved in the sport for a year, maybe. Yeah. So Justin, I credit Justin a lot for that. So especially with stage design the first year, I hadn't shot very many matches. I think I shot one bigger match um, before that point. So I had never even attended a large match because nationals got delayed that year too. And that was my first two day match I've ever shot. So it was, um, you know, a lot of his experience with center fire and uh, being really minded for stage design. Uh, we've done a lot of fun bonus stages, but we just, we pretty much talk 90% of our lives about, about the sport and we <laughs> brainstorm and we really just energize each other on this topic. So it's great. Cause he comes at it from a completely different analytical perspective. And I come at it from a, I want to have fun and enjoy, uh, the stage piece right. of it. So I'm like, nope, that's boring. He's like, but it's straightforward and it's scientific. And I'm like, nope, it's gotta be more fun. So we, we play off of each other in that way. And I brought the organization and the kind of humanistic piece to it. So, you know, all the shooters had bags and they all had their shooter numbers on them and their matchbooks were printed out and their stage, uh, or their squad numbers and their shooter numbers were all pasted on each of their matchbooks for them. Cause you know, I'm like, well, if I showed up to a match, this is what I would want to have. So that's, that's what we did. So it was good. It was really fun that year too. 
um, we learned a lot, a lot. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny when we look at it from an organization standpoint, um, you know, when Ty and I talked about this whole concept, we never imagined what it would be today. And the simple fact, you know, hearing, hearing your origin story, right, is actually really cool because I, I never knew your origin story. Um, I, you know, I just, I don't really talk to, talk about personal stuff with people, um, but it's, it's awesome because you started off, you know, kind of where everybody starts off, you know, just kind of trying to figure it out and, and work your way through it and figuring out how to obtain gear and, and a lot of people have to work hard and save money and, and whatever to get that next piece of equipment to today, you know, you have everything. Well, most of it, well, you got your backpack for Christmas, so you should have <laughs> I do. Yeah, I did. I did every birthday and Christmas and anniversary. I get something for my gun stuff now, which is, I'm not complaining. <laughs> Heck yeah. So now, you know, match director, um, you're part of the NRL uh, executive advisory team, and now you're going to be running the NRL 22 podcast. You've come a long way in a very short Yeah, hour. Yeah, for sure. Well, the great thing about this community is you can be as involved as you want to be. I mean, yeah. the, the opportunities are there and, you know, everyone, especially uh, the NRL 22 employees, you guys are so personable and so real and just great at answering my millions of annoying questions, um, you know, or I, fielding my millions of annoying ideas. Like, <laughs> hey, you know, it'd be really great if we did something like this, you know, like decided who had the most female participants at a monthly match, for instance. Um, so, did. yeah, <laughs> so it was great. It's, it's really a fun community to be part of. I, I tell people this story all the time. So I grew up in a, in a liberal family. Um, we were hunters. So, you know, we take the gun out and zero it maybe once a year. So, it, you know, shoot a couple rounds through it and, uh, occasionally shot a couple birds in my life. Um, never ended up taking a deer. I just spent a lot of time in the stand. I just, you know, if I, if I wasn't going to shoot a huge buck, I decided I didn't want to shoot one because my dad shot plenty of deer. We had meat in the freezer. It wasn't a big right. deal. So, um, I ended up kind of stepping back from hunting and getting involved in other things as an adult and never really got back to shooting until I got my concealed carry permit, uh, a few years ago. And my dad is so politically founded in his, um, in his ways that he, he thought that I was mixed up in some bad business. And I was like, dad, I've never even seen the illegal drugs before in my life. I've never, I've never even been involved around or adjacent to any of that stuff. So you're so opinionated about this, that you changed your view of your daughter that you've known and raised her entire life over your political opinion about what it means to have your you know, your permit to carry. So right. he, we had a good, good open dialogue about that, but that's the, the extent of my um, gun ownership up until I got involved in the sport. And what this sport's done for me has really opened my eyes to a lot of the, you know, policies around gun control and things like that, that didn't occur to me before that I didn't have the context to understand. So I was never super opinionated on those things, but to me, a common sense gun law was like, oh, sure, why not? Because I didn't understand the downstream effects that that has for people in these types of sports or who, who own those types of equipment. And I didn't really step back to think about it 
from that perspective until I started spending more time in this area. And people were so welcoming to me. I was a little nervous at first, you know, and um, I don't, I'm not really opinionated one way or another, um, you know, super strongly. So I, I'm not worried about spending time with people of different opinions, but I was worried that people would go, you don't know anything about these things, you know, get out of here, you and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just not like that. And I think the more people we can bring in and expose to these things, uh, especially through sports like this, it's really a not an intimidating environment uh, with 22s. It's quiet. You can have conversation at these matches. Uh, there's families involved. It's, you know, pretty safe handling if you're intimidated about firearms in the first place to, you know, having these rifles is a little bit easier than handguns, in my opinion, for muzzle control. So it's, it's a good way for people to get started who've never experienced shooting guns. We just did ladies range day uh, last month up here and we had two women, one who has never shot a gun before and one who had never shot a rifle before. And it was just super cool to see them come out um, and hang out with us. And, and one of them showed up to our match last weekend. So it's pretty nice. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's um, not, not, you know, not to be a political show or anything of that nature. Um, and it's really cool when somebody who was anti-gun becomes pro-gun. Yep. You know, um, a, a while ago, a year or two ago or whatever, uh, a friend's wife who knew that I was into firearms asked me to teach her and some of her uh, her friends about firearm safety, basic firearm safety. And these are... Um, not to be stereotypical, they're Orange County housewives, right? Yep. So they're they're more foo-foo, yep. right? Um, and after we went through this class and, and I was showing them things, they became super open-minded to, you know, the, the correct way to use firearms and what a firearm means and how empowering it can be for somebody who doesn't, um, who doesn't understand what that was before. And you know, it could have been the exact opposite. They could have fired a gun and said, no, this isn't for me. And that would have been fine, but at least they would have tried it. And the cool part for me with the NRL 22 and part of our mission was to get more people involved in firearm sports, right? Um, and we've, we've done that in such a community i don't know if that if that's even a word a community a community situation like a collaborative i don't i don't if you want somebody smart talk to Brittany. <laughs> we did that in such a in such a way that we have so many different generations of family members coming out to to participate and learn and have fun and challenge each other um it's just really cool yeah, I love it. That's one of my favorite things about being a match director is seeing the families come out every year at our X matches. You know, my, my favorite photos are, are of the families that show up and um, I can still picture I've got photos in my head of my favorite ones because you're capturing moments that are memories for people that they wouldn't have if the sport didn't exist. We have a father son duo that shoots together all the time and uh, the son is, you know, turning 18 this year. I think he's a senior. They just over the last two years have had so many opportunities to do things together. And I think back, like, how cool would that have been to have that opportunity with my dad or my mom? You right. know, that's that's the kind of um situation you guys are creating. And it's it's phenomenal. I I just feel blessed to be a part of it and have had this community to to fall back on 
during some, you know, difficult times for us extroverts in the lockdown, shutdown, don't go outside or talk to humans uh, time period of the last couple of years. I'm so grateful to have an outdoor sport where I could travel and meet different people and continue to engage. So it's been phenomenal for me. Absolutely. And as it has been for us, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're the ringleaders. We're not the ring, right? So without the community, we're just, we're not anything else, right? So we're just truly blessed to have pe great people of every age and, and ethnicity and demographic that participate in the NRL 22. And, you know, the, the fact that the sport's growing and there's other great series out there shows that we started something that is uh, truly special. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's great that you're you're here and you're on board. And this is our first podcast. Can you believe yeah, it? Yeah, it's exciting. We've been we've been waiting for well, not that long, but I, I've been putting it, I put it on off as long as I could. So here we are now. But <laughs> you know, once I started posting about it on Facebook, then uh, then it became real. Now I have to do it right. So you do. Okay. <laughs> so you posted it on Facebook and you post and you said, Hey, what are some of the topics that you guys want to talk about or want you to talk about? I'm curious what some of the responses were and specifically if you have one that stands out as being outrageously funny or outrageously. Um, well, I got one from, uh, I don't know, uh, this per, uh, Mitch Tromberg. Oh, see, now you're having problems with last name. Now you no. know how I feel. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just using Mitch shoots with us all the time. Um, but he he's Mitch is Mitch is Mitch is married to Amy. And Amy keeps Mitch in line. So we like Amy, um, but no, Mitch is, Mitch is a good guy. He's a, a fellow match director and he shows up a lot. He always has loaner equipment for new people. And he's one of my go-tos uh, for squatting with newbies. So he's phenomenal, yes. but he sent me a list of 17 things to consider. Oh, what? So, yeah. So what? his was, his was good. I highlighted one of them to, okay. to get to. Um, so basically what I'm hoping for with this podcast email is that listeners will send in their question, anything to do with NRL 22. You mean, you can ask me anything you want, but I might not read it on the air, but if you can ask me some stuff about NRL 22, what I can do is choose a few questions every month, um, tell you what my answers are, give you my perspective on it. Um, I will respond to everybody. I might not read them all on the podcast, depending how many I get. I actually got quite a few already, which is cool. Um, I did tell a bunch of people that my inbox was lonely because for like the first week and a half, it was empty. And I was like, no one's going to email me any questions. And then I got a huge flood of them, which was awesome. So, um, so I've got a few of them we can read through, yeah, um, is there a on the show that you want to do today. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few we could do for sure. So, uh, the first one actually is from Mitch and it's the question is, what do I need to get started in NRL 22? Um, which is a great, great question. Yes. So for people who haven't shot an NRL 22 match before and don't really know what to expect, the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to show up to your local match. If you don't know where that is, um, there's a place where you can find clubs on the NRL 22 website. Facebook is another great way to find clubs. So either post in the NRL 22 members group or look for NRL 22 groups in your area. Uh, for Minnesota, we have a Minnesota NRL 22 group where all of the local match directors post our matches. We also have a shared calendar. So it says where the local matches are and we, we don't overbook on the same days. That way people can go to multiple clubs. Um, but the biggest thing is to just show up. Um, most 
or I shouldn't say most, but many match directors and other competitors have extra rifles and extra gear. And that, in my opinion, and I am biased because of where I came from, but I've also seen a lot of people get started um, and think that they need to have all their equipment in advance and then find out that they got the wrong stuff or that they don't actually like the equipment they started with. But if you just show up and you talk to a match director in advance and see, does anyone have a loaner rifle I can use? Or is anyone willing to share a rifle with me? Get there and find out and get the experience of shooting your first match with that situation. And then you can decide at that point, you know, there's so many different options and there's so many different great setups out there nowadays. And there's a lot of different scopes available uh, for a variety of budgets. I think the best thing to do is to show up and borrow a gun and shoot and get an idea right out of the gate what your preferences are. Because really it comes down to personal preference. No, absolutely. There's not, um, I think those are great answers. Um, I, I would even go so far, you know, the loaner rifle uh, program is absolutely phenomenal and it's helped a lot of people out. But even if you have, you know, your own 1022 or whatever 22, even if it's not quote unquote competition, just come out and try it and, and yep. see, see what other people are doing. Now, depending on where you are and what match you go to, you might see some really um, practical rifles, which is what I, I, I really like. But you might also see some like really raced out, fancy, custom paint job, uh, you know, really high end 22s. I've seen people beat the fanciest rifles with the most simple rifle. And I've seen the fanciest rifles be on the, the most basic rifles. It's not, it, it's, it's not about the gear at the beginning. It's about you learning the fundamentals and, and coming out and just being a part of it. You'll find what you like. And over time, start to work on figuring out how to obtain that stuff, whether you know, you're, you're winning a prize on the 22 live show, or you're saving up for it, or you're going to one of our, our amazing sponsors and they're giving you a discount, whatever it is. If you don't put your foot in the pool, you'll never learn how to swim. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really good points too, Travis. It, you know, if you have a 22 long rifle already, just any 22 long rifle will do. Um, I just encourage people not to try to get their entire setup done before they ever show up to a match because you, you tend to find out, Oh, I should have done this instead of that, which is fine. People, uh, this, you know, people resell stuff all the time and then, and, and upgrade or switch out for things that they'd prefer. And that's totally fine too. But I see a lot of new people get stressed out about trying to have, you know, the perfect setup before they show up. And, and really like, like you said, Travis, it's about learning the fundamentals and dipping your toes in the water. And I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's truly guilty of what you just said. Like I'd get a new rifle or a new gun or whatever. And I go and I'm like, that looks cool. That looks cool. And I just buy it. And I'm like, oh yeah, now I got a super race car gun. And I'm like, oh, well, that was stupid. It doesn't work. And oh, that doesn't <laughs> my hand. And so I'm not, I'm not smart enough to resell my stuff. So it always ends up in a box until one of my friends is like, hey, do you have a, yeah, here. <laughs> Yeah. Dust. <laughs> yeah. There you go. No, that's that's always good too. I think uh I think it's just, you know, important for people to to get out there and try not to stress the equipment too much until you've had the the experience a little bit. I know a couple borrowed one of our loaner rifles for 6 months I think in a row and then saved up for their own uh base gun setup and they're sharing a rifle and they they do awesome. very well. Um I think awesome. the husband finished in second place at our, 
her match with uh, 40 some people at it last weekend. So, and, you know, shoot the yeah. base class rig. I love that. We had two base class setups in the top five at our last monthly match, which is super fun to see. That's, yeah, that's huge. That's awesome. Yep. All right. What else? What, what else is Mitch throwing your way? <laughs> well, so I'm sorry, Mitch, I'm tabling you because we need to make space for some other people's thoughts and opinions. Um, oh, I will say, you know, uh, mill scopes are way better than MOA, though, was one of his points on here. I think he said. I, I yeah. concur. <laughs> <laughs> he shoots MOA, but I know he, I know he, he wishes he shot mill scopes so he could be part of the cool club with the rest of us. Um, mills, it's like in the right language with everybody else. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so Jen Anderson was wondering where is the best place to find out about state monthly matches? Do a lot of states have their own Facebook pages like we have in Minnesota? Um, and the the answer to that is the NRL 22 page has under NRL 22, there's find a club. Uh, and if you put in a zip code and a, a radius that you want to search under, it'll show you the current registered clubs. I recommend reaching out to the contact that's listed at that club and make sure that, you know, they have scheduled matches. Um, there are several states and areas who have their own Facebook pages, but I'm not a part of all of them. Um, there's, they're all kind of labeled different things. So, you know, in Minnesota, it's Minnesota NRL 22. So you could search for that. Um, but I think the best place to start would be the NRL 22 website. Travis, do you have different opinions? No, I, I think the NRL 22, it's a dot .org too, just so you guys Thank know. Thank you, .org. .org. Um, I think that's going to be your best place to start. And we do our best to keep that up as updated as possible. Um, not every club registers with us, um, but the ones that we track obviously are on there and we try to keep that as up to date as possible. Um, so that's always a good place. And, and if you have a problem, then reach out to us through the website if you need more specific help. Perfect. Yeah, so um, it's really fun too. I know I've, I've shot in a lot of different states um, and worked, you know, met a lot of different people and it started at nationals. The first year I went to nationals, I, I met a bunch of people from out of state. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm staying at Lynn Bigelow's house and, you know, shooting at Paul DeHellen's <laughs> range. And it's because Lynn happened to squad with a bunch of Minnesotans, you know, at nationals a couple of years ago. And he's, he's a good dude, but uh, it's phenomenal, you know, how cool it is to have the opportunity to go. And everyone's always so nice with the, match I went to in Iowa, uh, another shooter let me crash uh, at his place. I was like, I'll crash on the couch. It's fine. I just didn't want to get a hotel room for the night because right. I'm trying to keep costs down. And, you know, it's really a, a cool thing <coughs> to travel around and see how different clubs shoot their monthly matches and be, be part of that too. So it's, it's definitely fun, um, a good opportunity to, to try and get out there and shoot some other clubs when you're traveling, I think is, is a really fun idea. It is. It, it's a it's a great way because a lot of us now utilize social media to stay connected or to make friends, and a lot of times you don't actually ever get to meet those people that you're conversing with on social media. Yep. But you know, in these situations, you you know, we have the NRL twenty two community. We have those that are active in it. We have friends across the country that it's yep. like, you know, hey, I'm I'm stuck in Texas. Who's around? I I posted a picture. The other day of me stuck in Texas on the way to Oklahoma to a, a, a centerfire match or a hunter match rather. And one of my, one of the guys who's active on the page wrote me back. He's all, dude, 
I live a mile and a half behind where you're at right now. Come over. I've got deer chili on the stove and you can crash out till the accident's gone. Nice. I was like, I was like dude, that's so awesome. I've never, never that met this awesome. guy. Yep. I mean, I didn't have a, like, he's not like my neighbor, like my close friend, right? He's somebody from our community mm-hmm. and he right. opened up his, his arms to us to make sure that we were safe and fed. Yeah. And that's so typical of my experience in this community too. I, I drove, so I went to, um, I went to Utah and I hung out with Lynn Bigelow and Paul Dallin. And we drove down to the grand junction match in Colorado. And then we drove back and then I was supposed to fly out the next day and my flight got canceled because of stupid snowstorm. So I've been looking for a car and I ended up, I knew exactly the year and model and all that, but so my flight got canceled and I was there for a whole nother day. And in Minnesota, we use salt on the roads to melt ice and it just eats away at the bottom of cars. So every car I looked at up here that was used was destroyed underneath. So I'm like, well, there's one at this shop and Lynn's like, here, take my truck, go ahead, uh, you know, go look at the car. And I found one and I ended up buying it. Long story <laughs> short, the next day I'm driving to Minneapolis from Salt Lake. So, so wow. I ended up, it took me, I think 23 hours because they kept closing roads in yeah. the middle of Wyoming. Um, I've never driven across country before, but I figured, Hey, why not? So I seriously considered posting, uh, does anyone live in these areas? Cause for a while there, I was like, I might need to stop. I might need to, to, you know, take a break or something. I don't know. So, and I, I have no doubt in my mind if, if someone had lived in the area, they would have done the exact same thing. Yeah, so it, it's one of those things, you know, I, we had dinner that night at that, uh, before that cameo match, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yep. As a big group. Yeah. Okay. I, so many, so many matches and dates and country are not country states. So I kind of get, kind I of know. Bored. Right. Um, it, it's really cool. The, the support that the community has not only on you know on the field or at a match but also off of it so absolutely it's, uh, it's really cool it's really yep, cool for sure so highly encourage you guys to get out and and meet people and from the other areas it's it's a lot of fun yes so yeah so um we have another question from joe essler he wants to know uh how often and what to practice to up your game for dry fire uh, so what to do for dry fire practice and uh i will tell you I used as an excuse for a long time, but I actually believe this to be true. Uh, Justin would say, you know, we need to dry fire. We need to dry fire. He's, he is very disciplined and it, he's a phenomenal shooter. And, and this is a lot of the reason why, um, I am not at all disciplined. <laughs> and so I approach practice very differently, especially when it comes to stuff like this. Cause for a lot of my issues, it's mental. It's not physically executing. It's mentally getting through the stage and, you know, managing my competition anxiety. So for me, dry firing, um, I didn't do it for a long time because I didn't feel comfortable that I had good fundamentals and I didn't want to keep reinforcing, especially in dry fire. When you don't see, did you actually hit the target or not? You can see, did the crosshairs move, but it took me, it took me until about a year ago for me to actually see that in action um, realistically. So I could say, yeah, I think I hit the target, but until about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, um, I didn't feel comfortable with my fundamentals. I took a class. Um, the class was really phenomenal. taught me a lot about fundamentals. I found out 
that my follow through is terrible, which is a big part of my problem. Um, so I just don't encourage if you're brand, brand new, what you should be working on at dry fire is getting comfortable in positions, not necessarily tons of repetition. So dry firing is still a really good idea. Um, I recommend not hammering a bunch of trigger pulls though, until you know for sure that you have good fundamentals and that you're reinforcing the right process. So if you're reinforcing the wrong thing over and over again, and you're not getting that negative feedback by missing a target, you might be doing more harm than help. But uh, it's really great when you're new to dry fire off of different barricades, because it helps you determine what's the, the best, most stable body position for me with my rifle. And so that's where I would encourage people to start is with that. I think that that's very solid advice. Um, <clears throat> I, so it's funny. If you don't want to compete, get into the business of the shooting sports, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, or match directing. Or match directing, <laughs> which is part of the business, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, so I don't get to shoot nearly as much as I would like, but it's it's actually funny because I'm going to be shooting a match this coming weekend. And so I went out with uh, a couple of friends yesterday and we were there to kind of knock the, knock the rust off, so to speak, and get prepared for our match. One of the drills, um, so I went to my friend Nico Detour's place. Um, one of the drills that he had us do was a, a snap drill. And we, we did it live fire, but it absolutely, absolutely applies to dry fire. Um, and the snap fire was, our goal was to um, get into a position and shoot a target within 10 seconds, right? So yep. we knew the range, we dialed our dope, we started, what we were doing was we, um, we were shooting off of a tripod, that was our makeshift barricade. So you could use the, your chair, the back of your couch, a yep. nightstand, whatever, right? But the goal was to get down, get into a stable position as fast as you can, get your crosshairs on that target and make a clean trigger pull yep. and do it under 10 seconds. Yep. So the 10 seconds is the stressor. The goal is that position. Yeah. Pulling the triggers, pulling the triggers, not the hard part in this equation. The hard part in this equation is getting into a position where you're stable enough to be able to pull the trigger. Yep, exactly. So systems like the, the DFAT uh, by Troy Tyson, um, where you can, you know, if you have space in your house, you can set up a target and you can set up, um, put the DFAT adapter onto your scope and do that at your house, you know, pulling the trigger a bunch through dry fires is fine, but it's a great opportunity, like you said, to figure out what positions work for you. Um, we did another one where we were shooting off of a tripod yesterday and we tried it from um, a double knee, you know, stance to a single knee stance and to a side sitting stance. And we shot five live fire. We shot five, uh, five strings of each to see what we were better at. Yep. And I could tell even before I was pulling the trigger, <clears throat> when I was on double knees, my, um, my reticle was more of a vertical movement. When yep. I was on a single knee, my, my reticle was more of a horizontal movement. When yep. I was seated, I was more of a figure eight. And that's just me. I'm not saying that's the same for everybody. But that tells me where and how I need to be able to practice in what position I need to be able to practice to get in most comfortably. Yep, absolutely. And if you have a wider target than you have tall, now you know which body position is maybe best for that to engage right. that target. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but to go back to the original question, I don't know if this is still true, but when I first met Allison Zane, who's just a phenomenal shooter, um, her dad told me that she dry fired for at least a half hour every night. Yep. You know, um, she's absolutely one of the best in, in the precision rifle sports. And I'm not saying that you need to do that every day, but that's what I was told she was doing. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I know her dad taught her proper fundamentals. So I'm just going to plug that again, that if, you, if you're not sure on your fundamentals, find someone who's experienced to help you. And once you get those down as much reinforcement as possible, it can't hurt you at that point. So yeah, I highly, highly encourage that. And I, now that I have better fundamentals, I have no excuse for not dry firing. I'm just lazy, but, <laughs> but we do busy, busy. Yes. That too. Um, but really when we do dry fire, I think, you know, for starters, a ladder is a good idea. Um, for people for for barricades to start with to get different height uh, comfort levels, so you can try you know the different positions and the rungs of the ladder and, and find out that you know being on two knees really hurts one of your knees. Maybe you're injured, um, something like that, or or you can't sit in a certain position. Um, it's always better to find those things out when you're at home than it is when you paid money to go to a match and now you're missing targets and you're in pain. So. Well, and the other thing is you, you might be causing more damage to yourself because you have the adrenaline of, of the match. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you're like, I can do it and you just do it. And you know, next thing you know, you're walking away and you're limping or somewhere or another. Right. Exactly. So find, find out what your body limitations and your capabilities are at home before you try to do it at a match. And I'm guilty of this, but I'm going to tell you, don't try new things at a match. <laughs> Don't have a plan like this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then you see somebody else clean the stage before you did it completely the opposite of what you do. And don't think that you can do it the same way that person did, because that person uh -huh. practiced that. Yeah. Uh, you shoot your match your way, the way you're, you're comfortable and you've been practicing. Yeah. That every time that I've done that, I've done the exact same thing. And every single time I've regretted it. So I've, yeah. I come up with a plan and then I see, oh, well, they allow rear support with a tripod. Well, I haven't practiced with that. And then I, go up and I try to use it. And the guys in my squad are trying to help me arrange it at the proper height. Cause we got to start on the prop for this one. And I, I, I dropped my muzzle on the concrete and I was so mad. Oh. I was like, I knew I shouldn't have used this stupid rear support tripod. I would have been fine. And, uh, all I can say is anytime I've tried to add equipment or, or try a new thing at a match, it's also not worked in my favor. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of look at it, practice it at home a couple of times, then try it out in a match um, over trying yes. to do it all at the same time. So believe in yourself. Yes, exactly. Your plan and executing that well is better than someone else's plan poorly executed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then our, our last question is from Teresa Jurish and she wants to know how important is follow through and why and i've shot with teresa so i have a feeling she's asking this question for me because that was my number one issue um that was costing me points i found out when i took that class last year so follow through uh, and i have i don't know how many you know i've talked to quite a few shooters about this who also struggle but i have adhd and i struggle hard in this sport with that cuz my memories don't encode from short-term to long-term memory. That's, that's one of the main issues with ADHD that causes a lot of the symptoms. So it's difficult for me to focus on my follow-through and waiting because I'm on to what I'm going to do next. So I'm thinking about what the next trigger pull is going to do. Um, but I found if I 
watch for my bullet to hit the target before I allow myself to do anything else, uh, I, I hit way more targets. Like I was making shots that I didn't think I had a prayers chance of hitting prior to figuring this out. And I'd watch it just to say, okay, you got to follow through. And then I'd make myself wait and count like one, 1000 and just really exaggerate it in my head at first to, to make sure I was doing it right. And I'd start hitting stuff. Like I couldn't believe. And then that positive reinforcement has helped me to continue to do this. So I know I, I haven't been shooting our monthly matches because we've had a lot of competitors at them. It makes it difficult to arrange them. Um, but I always try to shoot at least one stage so I can get my score in for the month and just feel like I participated. So <laughs> I shot one stage last month and I was thinking that exact thing, the um, barrel and the cinder blocks one. And I was just like, just follow through. And I was watching the bullet go in and, and hit the, um, and hit the target. And the first shot was just a little bit left. And then every other shot after that was center punch. And it's so fun to watch that happen and make corrections and, you know, know why things are happening. Uh, but it's a process to get to that point. So I just want to encourage people to follow through is very important. Uh, make sure that you're taking your time and let yourself time out, let yourself time out every single stage. If you're missing targets, if you need to take your time and get the, lose your points on timing out before you lose points on missing targets. I like that because I remember watching you at the very beginning and you were really fast at missing. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am. I am a I master it. at speed and missing, but I actually finished that stage with 30 seconds left. So I'm still a fast shooter, but now I know how fast I can be without costing me points, which is the important part. Exactly. Exactly. That's Justin awesome. also cleaned that stage and I used his rifle, uh, but I cleaned it in way faster time. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Got to get that on the record. <laughs> little jab. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Okay. Um, so my, my opinion on follow through is it's absolutely one of the key fundamentals of precision rifle shooting. You have to be able to follow through to get the data back from what the bullet is doing. The bullet doesn't lie, right? So if that bullet's, you know, center punching it, great. If it's missing left, right, high, low, whatever it is, you need to be able to be behind that rifle and see what it's telling you so that you can make the proper adjustment. Your follow through with your trigger pull is also very important because being able to hold or depress that trigger and hold it back for that extra, you know, 10th of a second or whatever it is so that you're not slapping the trigger is going to affect the way that your rifle reacts, especially with a lighter rifle. Some of the heavier rifles that way, you know, ungodly amounts, um, it's going to be a little bit more forgiving. In I've been doing this since 2014. In that time, I have seen less than probably a handful of people that are just magicians where they don't like their follow. I look at their follow through and their trigger pull and I'm like, God, that's ugly. You know? <laughs> but they, they hit targets and they win matches. Yep. I have no idea how to explain how, how they're so accurate because uh, their fundamentals are just crap in, in my, from what I've been taught, mm -hmm. but whatever they're doing works for them. Right. That being said, learn the fundamentals before you break the rules. Yep. If you can break the rules and make it work in your advantage, great. But if you can't, you can always rely on the fundamentals to get you through it. Yep, absolutely. I think in my experience, so, and, and that's a really good point about, um, you know, mental follow through versus trigger pull follow through, because I was guilty of both, um, <laughs> doing both wrong. And 
Justin would tell me I was slapping the trigger for ever. Um, and until I took this class and someone else told me I was slapping the trigger, I didn't get it. So, so for those who are like me and are like, I'm not, you know, I'm not slapping the trigger. I was picturing slapping the trigger, like pushing it hard. Um, right. it's not, it's letting up too soon. So letting up off the trigger too soon, you're just like doing a quick little slap off of it instead of pulling it back slowly and then holding uh, for that extra 10th of a second, like Travis said. So for those of you who are confused or your significant other's the one trying to teach you like, like I had, um, <laughs> that's, that's my experience with slapping the trigger. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There sure. you go. It's definitely hard, by the way, um, for those of you listening in to teach your significant other the sport um, or to learn from your significant other on the sport. So I, I, I highly recommend finding some other folks. Um, we did a ladies range day and a couple of the guys tagged along and I said, you can be here, but you can't talk to the person that you came with. So it was funny within, you know, the first 30 minutes or so, one of the guys was trying to teach his, his sister and his wife were there and he was trying to explain to them how to engage a spinner. So he's already breaking the rules. Right. And I, I went over there to break it up because he's talking to him. Like, how do you not understand this? This isn't, you know, it's easy. And he explained it to me. And I was like, I gotta be real honest. I have no, I was like, I see what you did here. You turn this into like a science engineering situation. I'm like, that's not how I engage a spinner and I'm good at spinners. So he was like, Oh, really? Like it confused him that there was another approach to it. And I was like, yeah, I actually have no idea what you're talking about either. That confuses me. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. He's like, well, here's what I was doing. And he explained it completely different. The whole tone, the body language, everything changed when he was talking to me about it instead of them. And, uh, and so I, you know, I shared with them how I engage spinners. Um, you know, it's just, it's really interesting how the dynamics change because you want to just take and, and put your thoughts and perspectives into that person's head. But when you're living with or related to that individual, it, it gets difficult. It absolutely does. Like I can't, I can't explain anything to Brittany and have it make sense. But as soon as let's say you explain it to Brittany, the yep. exact thing I said, yep. it makes complete sense. Yep. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, that, that I get it now. Right. I understand yep. that. So it's like, Brittany asked me a question about something that I, I clearly know the answer to. Yep. And I'm like, here, Here's so and so. He'll explain it to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm removing myself from the situation because either one, yeah. we're gonna get into an argument. Two, I'm gonna have to have a whiskey tonight. And <laughs> if it gets really bad, I might be sleeping on the couch and this just isn't worth it. So you can talk uh, to that. There you <laughs> go. I've many tears have been shed at the range by me. Uh so I and I'm not I'm not the easiest person in the world to teach. So <laughs> it's um it, it's always good to have a different perspective when learning something, as long as you're learning from people that actually know what they're talking about. There's, yes. you know, and that's a whole different topic. Maybe that might be, you know, a topic for one of your podcasts in the future or whatever, but just because your husband or, or brother or wife or best friend, um, you know, just because they, they know a little bit doesn't mean that they know everything or that it's a hundred percent. Right. It's right. always good to try to get professional um, professional education or learn from multiple people and make it work for you. Yep, absolutely. And that's that's the the big key that I try to, to tell, especially females. Uh, we've got a great group of lady shooters up here in Minnesota that, um, you know, we've, we've been getting together. We have a group chat on Facebook and stuff like that where we share info, but it's it's really something that I try to, to illustrate to those 
ladies, is that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for you because I struggled so hard. Justin would tell me I, I should approach something in a certain way and it just doesn't work with my body type or I can't mentally make my brain follow those steps or whatever the case is. And, and I'd go up and I'd clean it in a completely different way than him because we're just different in how we approach things. And it's okay. You have to know what works for you. Yeah. I mean, let, let's just be honest. Women have usually bigger hips. Yep. They have more weight on their chest than most men, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they just usually are a little bit petiter. They're usually, you know, not, I'm not going to say weaker, but they, they. Less upper body strength on average. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. They usually have less body strength, uh, upper body strength on average. And that's no offense. I know there's plenty of women out there that can kick my ass and I'm not digging on any of you, but we're just talking about averages, right? Right. Right. So when you tell a woman, you know, you need to get into this position and that position. Well, Justin, bro, I'm like three inches shorter than you. And I can't get in that position. Ruth is three (laughs) inches shorter than me. How right. the hell she could get in that position? I can't get in that position. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We learned this on rooftops. And I was like, this is not, that does that physically does not work for me. I am too short and I can't get the right angle. So I, the first rooftop I ever shot off of uh, was actually at a pretty steep angle, like 45 degrees. And it was tall. It was like six feet tall and I'm five foot six. So I'm trying to watch what these other guys are doing. And I leaned over to, this is my first like larger match. There was, I think, 70 competitors there or something. And I'm, I'm shooting with the all-stars that day. It was my third match ever. I shot two monthly matches and I showed up at this thing and I was shooting with the guys who finished in the top five and then eighth place and then 12th place. And I thought I lost the whole match. I thought I finished in last place. I I went to the bathroom after the last stage and cried for a minute and had to be like, why am I doing this sport? I'm terrible at it. Yada, yada. And then I found out I finished in 15th. And then I realized another important lesson, which is like, take a deep breath. It's not that big of a deal, you know? Yeah. So um, I leaned over to one of my squad mates and he was about my height. And I was like, Hey, you're, you're about my height. How are you going to approach this? And he, he got all mad at me because I, I insinuated that he was short by saying that he was the same height as me. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm going after you. So you'll have to do whatever. So I got up to the rooftop and I climbed it and I hung on the front of it in like a squat position, like a frog. And then right. I shot the targets and I was like, okay, Marv, go ahead. And he's, <laughs> he, he couldn't quite get into that same position. So I'm not sure exactly how he did it, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's different. I mean, most, most guys can't get into the same position I get into on rooftops. I found out um, just not as flexible. So it really just is about getting some experience. Um, dry fire helps a lot with that, but getting to the range where you can work with some of these props is also really helpful. Ask your match director after the match if there was something you struggled with, if you can take a couple of minutes, um, and, and just try a couple of positions on that prop. So I, we've never Great. said no Great to idea. a shooter for that. So. Great idea. And you know, it's the, the same thing. Like I have a bad back, right? There's a lot of positions I'm not going to go into just cause I know I'm probably not going to get up from it. Yep. Yep. You know? Exactly. So work within your limitations. Yep. For sure. So. Well, wow, that's been, that was fun. That was fun answering those questions. Yeah. yeah, I like it. So if anyone wants to submit a question, it's podcast at nrl22.org. Yep. And submit as many questions as you want. Don't be afraid to ask. And as long as it's PG, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to talk about it. We don't exactly. Want to and this is a family-friendly show. There's a lot yes. of young guns 
a lot of young ladies and gentlemen that are part of the NRL 22 community that we want to be able to uh, to enjoy the show. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right, Ruth. So we try to keep these shows to about 45 minutes, an hour long. I'm guessing we're right around that time frame. Yeah. Um, that's usually where we kind of wrap it up. But this is now your show, Ruth. So you're in charge. What are we doing, hon? Are we going to wrap it up or we have more to talk about? Well, I, mean, I, I have a couple of questions for you for, for uh -oh. those who are more recent uh, to the NRL 22 community. Um, yes, so we talked a little bit earlier about how the NRL 22 um, was formed, but can you touch on that a little bit or do a, a quick little overview of where this brainchild came from? So this brainchild is actually from uh, Tyler Franer, who's our, my my business partner and co-founder of the NRL, and I believe it was Jeff Oder, who um, were talking about the idea of taking two-day centerfire matches, <coughs> but taking it into a smaller format and making it more accessible for people. So when I was speaking with Tyler, or we were talking about something, Tyler brought this idea up. Um, I told him that I I'd love the idea, but I didn't know what it would do because it had never been done before. We talked about it for quite some time about, you know, the format and how it would work and the old, um, I don't know if people remember this, but the old mail-in matches, you know, back in the day, you'd shoot a match and mail in your scores. And we were like, well, let's modernize that and make it a standard. And, you know, we, we started it and weren't sure if it was going to be received by anybody you know if we're gonna get five members or a hundred um and it just kind of blew up and it took off from there and you know this is this is tyler's uh, tyler's brainchild part of jeff Oder's idea and i'm just here kind of supporting it and being you know uh, being the face of it which i love but this is really really truly tyler's tyler's baby that i'm just really uh, fortunate to be a part of and I do the, I do the the marketing and the administrative and the legal side of stuff just to keep us, uh, keep us above ground. We're we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit, so everything goes back into the community, and it's something where we're just passionate about precision rifle and wanted to make it more accessible to specifically women and and youth because it's a twenty two, so you know virtually no recoil, very. Um, very noise friendly, so to speak. It's not as loud, obviously, as a, a center fire. And we thought it would be a great way to get more females and youth involved. And, and now it's taken off where even the, the big center fire race gun guys want to come and play. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a little less work than uh, all the reloading that you do for center fire stuff too. So yes, that's always nice. Although nice I did see somebody on Facebook the other day working a, a reload with some crazy 22 projectiles like, oh gosh, <laughs> in the next couple of years. I know, I know. It's it's gonna be really interesting to find out. Um, so another question that comes up a lot that I'd like to hear you answer is a lot of people who are new to NRL 22 want to know what's the difference between NRL 22 and NRL 22X. Uh great question. So NRL 22 is our monthly course of fire that we um, as a organization put out with our advisors and different members that write the uh, courses of fire. It's five stages and all of them are approximately 100 yards long in distance. We started it that way because a 100 yard range is not difficult in just about anywhere in the United States, whereas two, three, four, 500 yards are a little bit harder to come by. So 
the NRL monthly matches are designed so that it's the same course of fire ran by anybody, all the clubs throughout the United States. Um, you know, there might be slight variations because of weather or whatever, uh, or some of the range rules, but it's pretty much the same thing. That's how it started. And then people were like, well, I want to go farther and I want to do, you know, something harder and I want to do something that's a little bit more difficult. And NRL 22 monthly is was originally designed to be practical so that it was going to teach you the fundamentals of marksmanship. Shooting out at longer distances is, I'm not saying it's not practical, it absolutely is, but they want wanted to make it a little bit more challenging in shooting positions that may not always be your first choice, but it's good to learn, if that makes sense. Like the, the shooting off of a ladder. Yeah. Or shooting prone. Well, I'm going to shoot prone before I'm going to shoot off of a ladder. Right. But it's a way to test skills. Right. Yep. In in 22x, they wanted to do the same thing, but shoot out to greater distances. So as technology has grown, you tell somebody that's never shot a 22 that you're shooting a 22 rifle and hitting targets at 300 yards, they're like, no way. Well, yeah. we have people on average, well, not on average, we have people quite frequently in X matches hitting targets at four or 500 yards. Right. Yeah. So 22X is just, it's the match director's vision of different stages out to greater distances. So it really gives the creative creativity and ability to the match director to challenge their, um, their, you know, their members or, or the community that wants to come out and participate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like to, uh, creating the X series to keep the monthly matches a little bit more beginner friendly too. Cause when you, yes. the X matches are, are not for the faint of heart. Um, so you're <laughs> going to be challenged. You're, you're going to miss targets. Um, it's a great way to test your skill and expand your skill set, but that gives people an opportunity to compete at a higher level and still keep this space very beginner friendly, which I, I really appreciate. Right. It's like, it's, it's like, um, <clears throat> the monthly matches are like high school football. The X matches are like professional football. You're doing the same thing just on a bigger level. Yep. Different scale for sure. Awesome. So, all right, Travis, I only have a couple more and I know we're getting kind of long here. So thanks for bearing with us. Um, what is your favorite thing about NRL 22? My favorite thing about NRL 22, I don't, I just cleaned off my desk. I don't know if I have them and this is, an audio show anyway, so it doesn't matter. <clears throat> My favorite thing about the 22 is we randomly get letters from families and from young guns, specifically young guns, um, that tell us thank you for everything that we're doing, right? Um, I personally, I don't care if you can shoot a target at a, at a mile with a 22. That, that's awesome. Congratulations. It doesn't, that doesn't make me excited. What makes me excited is when I hear stories from fathers reconnecting with their children because now they have something in common. Um, there was a, I'm not gonna mention names, but there was a father whose son was somewhat uh, a low level autistic and he, his father and son relationship was going to hell. He hadn't had any kind of serious relationship with his kid until they started doing 22 matches. That's what, <coughs> excuse me. That's what I love about 22. It's bringing families together. It's getting people to reconnect. It's getting people 
a common ground to to be able to relate. Kind of like what you said earlier, 90% of what you and Justin talk about at home is 22. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, 22 literally, you know, besides Tinder and you swiping, 22 <laughs> has kind of glued you guys together, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, as, much, as well as many other things. And and I'm not blind to that big shiny thing on your finger. I just <laughs> noticed that earlier, but I didn't want to break sentence. <laughs> no, this was this was a personal purchase. Uh, that's uh -huh. not from Justin, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I wasn't sure because that, yeah. That no, was the, the video, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Got, yes, I just ran out of fingers. I like pretty shiny things, so but I have no problem buying them for myself. Like I said, every anniversary and, and holiday, I get something for my gun, which is also fine. Nice. Yeah, it, it's it's the community that I love most about 22. It's it really is. There's such, you know, there's such amazing people. And like I said, we we get physical letters, we get cards, we get thank yous for the live show prizes. Um, that stuff is is amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. The community community is my favorite part um, of this as well. And we've we've gotten a couple notes. We got one from a young gun from our last X match and it was super awesome. He wrote the whole thing himself and mailed yeah. it to us. And it's just like, it gives you the warm fuzzies. I put it on my fridge. Yeah. Um, so that that's it's funny too. Lot. Cause the kids, they, they write it out, but then they always add like a little drawing of something. Right. Yes. It's <laughs> awesome. Know? Like, okay. I know your dad didn't write that. Cause you got <laughs> all that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so my last question, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, what do you think the NRL 22, the future of the NRL 22 looks like? Oh, wow. That's, um, that's a really hard question. Um, it's a great question. I think the NRL 22, the way it's set up right now is really community driven, right? So based upon the leaders that we have in play, you know, you, uh, Tyler, obviously, um, Dom, Levi, you know, all you guys and gals that we have into play, you guys are really the ones that are driving the direction of the 22. I, I literally, I mean, you guys see me on the live show and you guys think it's, it's me. It's not me. Um, 100% it's not me. It's, I just get to be on TV or be on YouTube, whatever, and, and act like a fool and try to entertain <laughs> you guys, right? Um, so the, the future is really up to, it's up to you guys. Um, what I hope for um, what I personally hope for is that in the 22 monthly, we keep it as pure as possible, meaning we keep it to the, the, the core fundamentals. We don't get the gaminess and the, what's the right word? Not the, I'm trying to think of the right word, but not, we try to keep the, the funny stuff out of it if that makes yep. sense, right? Yep. Um, the funny stuff and the weird shooting positions and, and the faster times or this or that or whatever, I think all of that stuff is great and it's fun and it's entertaining. And I think the place for that is the 22X matches. Um, I would love to see 22 stay as pure to the fundamentals as possible so that it continues to be a place where everybody can come and learn and have fun without looking at a stage and being that's not something I can do. Right. right. The fundamentals were designed, you know, so that everybody, unless you have some kind of physical limitation can do it. Yep. And that's what I want to see. I want, I want 22 X to go wild and have fun. And, you know, I remember the, the, the days where we would, you know, literally at a match, we sat in a boat in a tub of water and <laughs> shot out of a boat and that's great. And that's fun, you know, because 
at, at that level, it's supposed to be a little gimmicky, right? Mm -hmm. That's the word I was looking for. Um, but 22 monthly matches, I would like to see stay as pure as possible. Gotcha. Very good. Well, I think that that wraps it up for this time. You know, I think people have held on with us for long enough at this point. Um, so I'm excited about where this podcast goes and I'm excited to hear from our listeners and, and get your guys' feedback. So feel free to reach out. Yes. And thank you so much for, we, I mean, we co-hosted this first show. I mean, I just wanted to introduce you. You did a great job. Uh, I think it was an amazing show. I hope everybody enjoys the show. Um, is it fair to say that people can expect the show once a month? Yes. Once a month. I've committed to once a month and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So for sure, once a month, you guys can expect uh, the podcast to be published. And we'll, we'll mark and we'll let you guys know when the pub, uh, podcast is out through social media. And our plan is to have it on all of the major podcast channels. So Apple, SoundCloud, Podbean, uh, whatever all of those are. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but it'll be everywhere. You will awesome. be everywhere. Oh, Ruth. good. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> no, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be good. Whenever we can spread the word and, uh, and get the information out there about this awesome community is, is going to be good. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to end it by saying thank you, everybody. Well, you know my ending. What's your ending? Actually, that's a good question. Oh, you did, now you're putting me on the spot, Travis. Yeah. yeah. Uh -oh. I just say thanks for listening. Thanks for being here with us. I'm looking uh -oh. forward to next time. Okay, well, that's... that's come up with the schnazzier line for the next one. All right, so what, what is it now? It's it's just thanks for listening and being here with us. Oh, you got to say it with more enthusiasm than that. Thanks for listening and being here with us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on my radio voice for next time, too. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Travis. <laughs>